Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. What's the first brand you remember as a young boy making an impact on you? I'd have to say, and probably lots of people have said this one before, but I'd have to say Apple. We haven't gotten that brand as much as I thought we would have. Yeah, well, as I mentioned, I grew up in a family of educators and they had all sorts of interesting partnerships going, um, one of which I think was with Scholastic, where teachers could basically, you know, turn in their sort of loyalty points from all the books that their kids and, and that they were buying in exchange for the next Apple computer. And so what that meant was we were an Apple household. <laughs> it changed the trajectory of really what I wanted to do professionally. In the late 90s, I think it was 97, with the release of iMac and then the Think Different campaign, kind of identifying as as one of those rebels, right? Like, you know, want, wanting to be the creative, wanting to be the creator, wanting to feel like I had this device at my fingertips that that I could manifest things with. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. The show today is perfect for the season of giving. My guest today in the CMO podcast is Max Steinman, VP Marketing and Communications for DoSomething.org, and their name says it all. Do Something is the largest organization devoted to young people and positive change. Founded in 1993 by Michael Sanchez and Andrew Hsu, with the goal to make volunteering as cool as sports for Gen Xers and emerging millennials, Do Something has directly impacted millions of youth to get involved in causes and their communities. My guest, Max, has had the perfect career path leading to this top marketing role at Do Something. He has a BA in marketing from Maryland and a graduate certificate in nonprofit leadership from the University of Denver. Max began his career in advertising and then worked at the Purpose Agency, the World Health Organization, Exposure Labs, where he worked on documentaries including The Social Dilemma, and DoSomething.org, where he has been for about six months. This is my conversation with a guy who has volunteerism in his blood, Max Steinman. Max, welcome to the CMO Podcast. Tell us about the holiday season at DoSomething.org. Is it business as usual or is it super crazy, super intense, lots of special events, special initiatives? We had the CMO of St. Jude's on at Christmas time, the holiday season, two years back, and they have one crazy holiday season. Is it the same at Do Something? I'd say so, Jim, and and thanks so much for having me on the podcast today. Um, yeah, the season of giving, right? It's a it's a busy time for a lot of nonprofits. It's a busy time for do something. Um, I'd say the thing that's keeping us busiest right now is our partnership with Allstate. We have a program that we just launched called the Good Works Team: Strength Through Service. Um, this is part of Allstate's. Uh, long-standing partnership with the AFCA where they 
uh, name a good works team every year. I believe this is their 30th or 31st year doing that. And those team members, as well as a head coach, are members of uh, college football teams who have demonstrated um, exemplary commitment to service in their community. And they are partnering with Do Something this year uh, as their philanthropic partner so that they can recruit a thousand young people to volunteer in their community alongside these players. So we launched the program in November. Um, it'll actually be running through the new year. So a lot of our messaging right now is actually focused on having young people make a resolution to volunteer in the new year and really kick off 2023 uh, with service top of mind. Um, we believe that if they can do that, they'll continue their commitment to service, you know, throughout the year and hopefully uh, as they as they get older. Uh, lots more I can share there. We're actually doing an on-site activation um, outside of the Sugar Bowl on December 31st, um, which is is sort of a culminating moment for the Good Works team. Um, so we'll be outside there recruiting young people to engage in service. Wow. Good for you. Hey, tell me a little bit more about this. I mean, it sounds um, good for Allstate, right? Uh, I mean, it's it's not uncomplicated what you're doing, right? You're you're honoring athletes for their service. You're 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 trying to get other people to follow their example. We're in a world of partnerships and marketing, right? And people who partner well typically build their brand well. So tell us what you've learned about working with Allstate. Yeah, absolutely. Well. Allstate is a, a longstanding partner of ours. We've done a number of programs in partnership with them. Um, so I think, you know, to, to speak to what you just mentioned, um, having built those successful partnerships in the past, we were sort of top of mind in some ways for them when this program came up. Um, and I think the way that this came about was, you know, they're familiar with the volunteer efforts that we put together year after year. So Strength Through Service is a program that do something that's run many years, uh, year after year. And so this is sort of a, uh, an add-on to that, if you will, um, where we're bringing the best of what Allstate does with the Good Works team with the best of what all uh, Do Something does through our Strength Through Service program. So there are six different... Uh, actions that young people can take through this program, everything from volunteering at a soup kitchen to um, running a competitive book drive in their community with their friends. And, and we love this sort of competitive frame there so that we're playing on um, the notion of volunteering being sort of a team sport and the sport theme that is being drawn out through this partnership. And then we also have some new actions that young people can do as well. So we really want to be rethinking what volunteerism can look like. Um, you know, many young people are familiar with going to the soup kitchen, you know, during holiday season, which is very much something that is a need. Um, but we also want them to understand that becoming, becoming an advocate for mental health resources in their community, that's also volunteering. Um, and so one of the actions they can take was, is with a program called It's Not All In Your Head, um, in which they put posters up in their schools that uh, guide their peers to um, a website where they can access more diverse mental health resources. So essentially enlisting young people to close sort of the gap um, that we see uh, for more equitable 
uh, diverse mental health resources that speak to the unique needs that LGBTQ folks face, that BIPOC uh, students face, that um, our communities are just unfortunately not able to, to always provide. Max, I want to stay on this young people and the issues that they're wrestling with for a moment. You, I would wager you spend more time with young people than any guest I've had on this show in the last three years. So could you talk a bit more about that? For you, what's the best part of that? And what are some of the challenges? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I'll back up a little bit and just um, maybe share a bit more about my journey uh, to do something and, and how I even began working with youth and in the youth engagement space. So uh, I like to say that I was bit by the social change bug back in college. Um, I was uh, part of the American Legacy Foundation's uh, Youth Speakers Bureau. Uh, the American Legacy Foundation is the nonprofit that was created uh, in the wake of big tobacco being sued in the 90s. Um, part of that settlement called for the creation of an advocacy organization to be set up, and that was the American Legacy Foundation. Most people uh, know American Legacy's work uh, from the Truth Campaign, which yep. is a massive public awareness campaign um, in the 90s and into the early 2000s, and it still exists now, um, to uh, raise awareness of sort of the deceptive marketing practices of big tobacco and to empower young people to really make their own choices and, you know, uh, be informed in terms of the, the impacts of tobacco and, and, you know, how they're going to navigate those in their social life. So I was part of their youth speakers bureau and I, uh, really toured the country as a college student speaking at various youth conferences to share the truth about big tobacco and to really leverage that as a springboard for young people to become advocates in their own community. And then I, I kind of uh, went from there into the world of advertising because I was curious about how we could be using marketing and advertising not just to deceive people, mm -hmm. not to manipulate them like Big Tobacco is doing, but for good um, and to empower positive decisions, um, healthy behaviors. And so I spent a number of years at, you know, big advertising agencies, uh, political firms and the like. Um, and then also took a little bit of a detour in the sort of social impact entertainment space, running impact campaigns for documentary films like Chasing Ice, Chasing Coral, both environmental films, and then most recently, The Social Dilemma. Um, so looking at issues of climate change, looking at issues of the impact of technology on young people and mental health. And that work there really uh, married both my work in marketing and advertising with more of a community advertising bent and being able to actually be proximate to young people. So um, I worked on developing curriculum that ran alongside our films and got our films into schools um, and engaged young people in actually creating their own local projects inspired by the films that they could carry forward long after, you know, the credits rolled. Um, and so that really got, you know, lit me up and got me excited to continue to do work that was proximate to young people and where working with young people was not just a, a thread of my work, but really at the forefront of my work. 
Um, and so that's, that's kind of where I'm at today. Um, I guess coming back to your question about it was, what are some of the challenges and opportunities or challenges and, uh, just the best part. What, what's it, is this the best job you've ever had to date? Um, yeah, I think, you know, for me, do something is really unique in that we're able to balance both breadth and depth. So being able to work at an organization like do something who is approaching its 30th year, we have our 30th anniversary next year, um, where people know our name, where we have, you know, the scale of an organization that's been around that long, where we've activated 5 million young people, um, where we've registered 375,000 young people to vote and are working day in and day out to kind of funnel them into what they do next after registering to vote, right? And getting them involved and engaged even earlier than that. They, they have become so savvy and in some ways critical of, you know, slacktivism and um, things that are just a flash in the pan. And so what we're really focused on at Do Something is how we can balance both the breadth with, with the depth um, and how we can develop programming that has both of those elements um, and really follows up with young people uh, on the kinds of actions that they're doing to find out how we can take that to the next step. So, for example, um, with our climate change program right now called CS Hear Us, young people are sharing stories of climate injustice in their community. Um, they're also sharing their vision for a greener future and even designing um dream green spaces. So sharing renderings, photos, designs uh, of what a dream green space in their community could look like. And we're hoping that maybe next year we'll even be able to take that one step further where we work with young people to make that a reality. And we find partners, you know, both corporate partners, hopefully, and also nonprofit partners who we can kind of come together to, to make that happen. So I think for me, the best part is balancing that breadth and depth. And I think the the best part of, you know, working with young people is that we get to architect the future that we want to build together. Um, and we, I get to work with, you know, people who still are um, idealistic in, in the most positive way, right? They're not hamstrung by all the, all the ways in which the system has sort of failed us, I think. Um, and I think also working with young people who, you know, we've, we've used this term ad nauseum as a society now, but they're digitally native, right? So they understand, um, you know, how to use these platforms like the back of their hand better, better than I ever could. And so really being able to pass the mic over to them, put the spotlight on them and, and see what they come up with. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. What have you learned about youth that would might maybe surprise many of our listeners? Um, I think just that, you know, young people oftentimes are underestimated. Um, 
And that oftentimes, even when we're looking at an issue, so I'll, I'll talk a little bit about uh, my work on The Social Dilemma, one of the documentary films mm-hmm. I worked on. Very powerful. Very, very powerful, honestly. When that came out and I watched it and my kids watched it and my friends were watching it, it was a major, major uh, point of discussion and, and a really sobering point of view. You know, the beautiful yeah. thing about that, you, you brought it to life and you didn't provide an easy, tight answer because there isn't one. Absolutely. It's a systems level problem. Mm-hmm. So there isn't a, a, a nice, tidy answer. But I'm glad to hear you touch on that sort of inter, that intergenerational piece, because um, I, th- I think that's what I'm most proud of with the work on that film in that up until that point, parents struggled to have a conversation with their kids about technology. And anytime they did, it was sort of predicated on this idea that, well, mom, you just don't get it. Or you're going to take this away from me. Um, I think the film created shared language. And frankly, just the convening power of film, of like we can literally sit down and watch this together. And so it created kind of this neutral zone in which to talk about the problem. And for parents and their kids to be able to talk about, okay, what does it look like for you to use this responsibly? What are some of the risks? What are some of the challenges? And then also it allowed young people to have a way to talk about it with one another, right? So they could watch this film together and talk about, you know, something that before was just, well, we all have to do this because my friend's doing this and I have to be on this platform because otherwise they don't exist. I mean, that was really the sentiment that I think came up from a lot of young people was if you're not online, if you're not on social media, do you even exist? (laughs) And coming back to something I mentioned before, I think that when the film came out, a lot of the conversation coming out of that, if you recall, you know, many of the, um, executive leaders at these platforms were being called in to testify before Congress. There was an, an, an acknowledgement that this was a problem that was uniquely impacting young people. Mm-hmm. And never was there a young person at any of those hearings. It was always, okay, the second in command. It was, you know, maybe um, bringing in a mental health professional, all, all important voices, but never was there a young person being consulted um, and and sitting there, you know, for those hearings. And so what we did with our campaign was sort of behind the scenes, we were gathering questions and and input from young people and feeding those kinds of questions to those that we knew were going to be in the room. And a lot of those questions that we we saw being asked by legislators were, were ones that we were sharing. And the other thing that we did was, again, coming back to to partnership, um, was we partnered with the National Association of Urban Debate Leagues, and we partnered with Newsweek for a program called the Social Dilemma Debate Project, uh, because what we felt was there was a lot of debate happening, and there wasn't a lot of debate uh, from young people Mm -hmm. to get to, like, what should the solution look like? You know, I think that 
young people are just oftentimes underestimated when you have mm-hmm. a thorny, complex systems yeah. level challenge, but they brought really incredible, insightful um, debates forward. And we, we shared those points of view with the network of legislators. We had about 30 plus legislators that we were in touch with um, after we released the film and we shared you know, a synthesis of those debates with them just to remind them that these are your constituents too, especially when it comes to this issue. Yeah. I mean, it's a good lesson, I guess, politicians and others could learn from great brands and great businesses, right? They have their consumer at the table. They, They listen, they talk to, they learn from, they involve the people who they're seeking to delight and buy their brands. So they're kind of, uh, in any great company, those people are always involved in decisions. And that's the way it should be. This is called the CMO Podcast, right? And we'll get to your role as CMO in a little bit, or as VP of Marketing and Communications. But I'd like you to riff a little bit for our senior marketing people listening about being important for tomorrow's, if I, will, if I use that term, tomorrow's consumers or the young people who are going to school, coming out of school, starting to work, if they want to win their hearts and minds, what sorts of things should be should they be thinking about, talking about, and doing from your perspective, Max? Great question. Um, I think for me, and this is maybe a bias that I have, but I think it starts with culture um, and thinking about the role that your brand plays in culture and how you can how you can shape it. Um, and I think that also begins with being where your, um, where your consumer or where your members in whatever mm-hmm. case that case may be where they are. Um, and then I would say also being nimble. So five years ago, we were saying, be where your consumers are, be where your consumers are. That's Facebook. Well, it's not so much Facebook anymore. And, um, you know, it's not as much Snapchat, like it's mm-hmm. evolving. Right. Um, and I think being able to be nimble and I like to think of kind of carving out 25% of whether you want to think about it as budget or whether you want to think about it as time, 25% of your efforts for marketing innovation, because if you're only ever doing what you've always done, you're always going to get what you always got. And so how do you carve out 25%? and learn on an annual basis what you can be flowing back into your marketing mix um, such that you are evolving. Um, and you do have sort of a systematic way of doing that rather than an ad hoc way of doing that. Let's switch to your role as head of marketing for Do Something. You've, you've been there only about six months, so you're still sort of in startup phase. Why did you make the choice to come to this organization at this time in your life? Yeah, so I think being able to take this thread of working with young people and really move it to the forefront of my work um, and have it be something that I'm doing day in and day out. That was very important for me. I think do something as an organization that I was aware of as I was coming up in the world as a young person and that I always admired and that I was involved in 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 various ways. Um, And so to now be able to come to the organization as a senior leader on the marketing communications team was really exciting for me. And I also think that the moment that we're in, right? 
um, young people since the start of the pandemic have just, you know, lived through really unprecedented uh, political and social unrest. Um, I think that they, for better or for worse, have kind of seen the um, failures of a lot of our systems. They really understand um, when we talk about systemic injustice, when we talk about um, systemic racism, I think they have a real understanding of what we mean by that now because they've seen the kind of interconnectedness of all these different issues. Um, and so they really are hungry for more lasting systemic change and are looking for a place to do that. You know, I think being able to help young people realize the, the civic power that they have is really what is going to really make our democracy work and ensure that it works for everyone. Um, 17 million young people are going to become um, eligible to vote between now and the 2024 election. And, you know, I, I'm just thrilled to be working with an organization among, you know, many that is doing the work to ensure that those, those young people get registered, understand the role that they play in our democracy, um, and then use that as sort of an on-ramp to get engaged, not just leading up to an election, but day in on day out on whatever it is that lights them up on whatever issue matters most to them in their community. Where did your interest in volunteerism and civic action begin? Was it your parents or was it an, was it the experience you had in college? I mean, what's the origin of it? Well, I did, I grew up in a family of educators, um, public educators all around. And my dad was also a director of special ed. And so it kind of was second nature to me that work in some form or fashion meant um, giving back. I don't know that I would have identified that or named that early on, but I, I really was able to see that as I entered into the working world. And I saw peers go off in all sorts of different directions that didn't really feel like I aligned with them. Um, and so I think that was just a baseline understanding for me was one, giving back, to young people, right? Being able to sit in um, as a guest in both of my parents' uh, classrooms, both working in urban school districts as well. So seeing something a little different than I was used to in, say, uh, the sort of suburban district that I grew up in. Um, and then I think, yeah, the, the experience that I had with the Youth Speakers Bureau, you know, um, I think there's a lot to be said for sort of accidental activism and while the the front of the Youth Speakers Bureau is very much about activism and about engaging young people, I think for me, um, I was engaged in that program at a time that I was also coming out as a young person, um, developing my queer identity. And it really was transformative in um, helping me be my fullest self and being able to fully articulate that and fully express that in front of peers in a way that I had not been able to before. Um, and so I think that kind of awakening into, into the fullest version of myself as a queer person, uh, I think really lit me up and I think, you know, made that experience transformative for me. And sometimes that's really all it takes is that one transformative experience, the one mentor, um, you know, the one influence outside of whatever 
um, your home life might be to start you on that journey. So who got you involved in the Speakers Bureau? How did you discover it? Was it a teacher? Was it a friend? How did that happen? Yeah. Because if that hadn't happened, you probably wouldn't be here on this podcast. <laughs> you, you know, I doubt you'd be in this role if that that didn't happen, whatever, 20, 25 years ago. Yeah, it's uh, it's a funny, funny memory that you're judging up. Actually, um, a very... Uh, old, old friend of a, of a college boyfriend who's unfortunately no longer with us was working with the organization at the time. And, you know, I think on some level, he was a little bit of a mentor for me. Um, he was very plugged into pop culture, um, and was working with the brand management team at the truth campaign. And, I was just totally enamored by the work that they were doing and the way that they married against sort of this pop culture piece uh, with the social change piece. And he really kind of took me under his wing and, and um, you know, recommended that I applied. Um, the other kind of transformative experience that I would say um, is when I began working with FCB, I was supporting our executive creative director in the digital department. His name was Mock Aram. And um, he was really a nurturer of young talent. You know, he was not there to have someone just do his expense reports. He really wanted to find a place for people. And um, he was instrumental in bringing the International Rescue Committee in as a pro bono client at the agency. Um, and he really kind of shepherded me along. You know, he sort of assumed that I wanted to do design work and I dabble in that as well. But I think very quickly saw that my interests lied a little elsewhere. And so he kind of shepherded me along to do more work on the, the strategy team. And so I was very quickly working on, you know, big website rebuilds for um, Motorola on Razor and Pebble and Sliver and yeah. all of the all the big uh, cell phone launches that happened in sort of the, the early 2000s. Um, and so, yeah, he, he saw something in me. Unfortunately, we also lost him too. He actually passed away um, during his tenure at FCB. And so that really stuck with me too. In some ways, I really feel like I'm trying every day to kind of carry on his legacy and the way in which he was trying to merge and marry, you know, the marketing and advertising with the work of, nonprofits and, and organizations that are trying to create social change. Well, he'd be very proud. I think if he was listening to this podcast, no, it's the greatest so. thing we, it's the greatest thing we do as leaders, right? We, we leave uh, an imprint on people and help them become, live up to their potential. We just, uh, there, there's a book out by a, about the CEO of PNG when I joined PNG and I did a show about that book a few a few episodes ago, I talked to Chip Berg at Levi's and I talked to Janet Reed and they both started their career when he was there. And the impact of a very senior leader on those junior people decades later is still palpable. So it's uh, something I think we all need to think a lot more about. Absolutely. So we talk about purpose on this show a lot and your purpose to do something is about as good as it gets, right? To fuel young people to change the world. Okay. Wow. So tell us more about how you break that down, how that becomes 
tangible for your organization in your culture, how you how it comes to life with your partners and sort of how do you activate it across all of the, your different constituencies. That's the tough thing about purpose, right? Any great ad agency can find you a, a beautiful articulation of it. It's living it and it's activating it in an organization, which is the complicated work. So tell us a bit more about how that happens at Do Something. So in terms of you know how we go about doing this, research is really at the center. We also recently launched a snap poll on our website that changes regularly to really understand what young people think about kind of the issues of the day. So leading into midterm elections, we were doing some surveying on, you know, how does the recent um, overturning of Roe v. Wade impact, you know, what's driving you to the polls? Um, how does, you know, hurricane season uh make you feel more motivated to get engaged in climate action. Um, and so that's kind of a real-time way that we're able to understand what's going on for young people. You know, I think just in summary, really centering the voices of young people throughout the process, not just to do some basic surveying, but really being proximate to young people as we move through the program development process. Max, of all the things that you could be working on in your organization. I mean, your, your breadth is huge. And so is your depth. When you think about yourself coming in six months as VP of marketing and communications, how do you focus and where are you focusing to spend your precious personal time? I think there's, there's two things. So one is we kind of just wrapped our 2022 civic engagement efforts and our, our debriefing on that internally as a team. We registered another 16,000 young people to vote just this year alone um, in a midterm election cycle. And we're gearing up for 2024. So that needs to start, you know, early. So we're beginning to really ideate around what that could look like. Um, how can we go big? And how can we really make democracy, this full, full context board? How can we treat election night, election day as not the finish line, but the starting line, right? And the other thing I would say is um, we are turning 30 next year. <laughs> as a result, we are really using that as a jumping off point to reintroduce, do something to a whole new generation of young people. Um, and we're just at the kind of beginning stages of imagining what that could look like. But how do we take the best of what we learned from these past 30 years? How do we put together kind of a narrative, if you will, of what social change looks like today for young people um, so that we can inspire and engage a, a whole new class of, of activists? So we're... we're the blank canvas of it is what is exciting um, and really trying to kind of write the narrative, write the story for what the next 30 years of do something could look like. Max, let's flip into the creative brief. And the first question is, what's the first brand you remember as a young boy making an impact on you? Yeah, so I'd have to say, and probably lots of people have said this one before, but I'd have to say Apple. Um, we haven't know, gotten that brand as much as I thought we would have. We get a lot of Nike 
and we get a lot of McDonald's and Coke. It's funny. But Napple, say more. Yeah, well, as I mentioned, I grew up in a family of educators. And if I recall, I think that at that time, you know, Apple was really making a push to differentiate itself as kind of the the educational computer rather than sort of the business computer that, you know, IBM was. And so they were eating up market share of uh, schools and how many systems they had in schools. They had all sorts of interesting partnerships going, um, one of which I think was with Scholastic, where mm-hmm. teachers could basically, you know, turn in their sort of loyalty points from all the books that their kids and, and that they were buying in exchange for the next Apple computer. And so what that meant was we were an Apple household. <laughs> um, and just the way that that was able to expand my sense of, re- of possibility of imagination the combination of both kind of these strategic marketing decisions to push against the kind of business productivity uh, only and its focus on design, design innovation, simplicity, um, sort of, you know, uh, asserting itself as part of the fabric of the house, right? Led to me teaching myself HTML and you know, really um, coming into a time when, you know, the internet was brand new. It was just coming into households. And I think it it changed the trajectory of really what I wanted to do professionally. And I and I think Apple was was always a part of that journey. And I think I think it was ninety-seven with the release of iMac and then the Think Different campaign kind of identifying as as one of those rebels, right? Like, you know, want, wanting to be the creative, wanting to be the creator, um, wanting to feel like I had this device at my fingertips that I could manifest things with. Um, and I think that's so much of what we all feel when we have our little phones in our hands now too. Um, so to have a taste of that at an early age was was really transformative, I would say. First nonprofit, you remember making an impact on you. Maybe this feels like a cop out, but I'm going to say what I knew to be the truth campaign. I later learned to be American Legacy Foundation, but I remember distinctly an ad from the truth campaign uh, where, you know, all the all the internal documents from Big Tobacco, all of them were released as a result of the, the lawsuits. Right. And they basically became fodder for the truth campaign to create these really compelling ads and campaigns. And I remember one in particular um, where someone was dressed up as a rat and they were walking around like a giant rat and they were walking around the streets of New York city with them. The message being that, you know, rat poison is in cigarettes. And this was just one of many like that. Um, and I remember, you know, just being, struck by this and a sort of marrying of, of, you know, to me up until that point, advertising was like something shot in a studio, you know, it was like green screen and it's just, everything is like scripted out and doesn't feel like real life. And here was this ad that was, you know, this kind of mix of like guerrilla marketing and this stunt and, you know, you're getting the real reaction of people in, in person on the streets of New York city 
but then you're also getting sort of the collective impact of that through an ad on TV. Who's been the most inspiring person in your life? Um, my father. Uh, my father grew up in, you know, a working class kind of first generation um, context in Bayonne, New Jersey. Uh, which is to give people a quick geography lesson is the kind of little peninsula peninsula that juts down just below Jersey City and grew up in the apartment above the laundromat that his parents ran. All he wanted was to create a better life for himself and for his family. And yet he wasn't willing to compromise on a commitment to giving back to the community that he was in. So he became an educator in the Bayonne School District, committed his whole career to, you know, improving the lives of special education students. And again, I think when I was younger, I probably took a lot of that for granted. But um, very quickly, as I began to have to navigate some of my own decisions as an adult, um, that selflessness um, and that sort of singular focus day in and day out, you know, showing up, doing the hard work, um, continues to, to animate me today for sure. We are in the season of hope and giving. What's your greatest hope for 2023 or do something? Um, I would say my greatest hope, um, as I mentioned, kind of at the beginning of our conversation, we are trying to have young people make a resolution to uh, engage in a service activity um, in the new year between now and January 20, January 20th, which is the end of MLK service week. So I really hope that um, obviously we've got 365 days, but start your year with service, um, set a tone for the rest of the year. Uh, sure, we've got lots of opportunities to you know, engage in our community, but I think we all know how formative and important those first few weeks are to sort of set intentions and set a tone. And so I'm hoping that we can you know, get 10,000 young people engaged in service in their community um, before the end of January so that we can you know, continue to engage them and, and help them find their purpose and their passion do something that's a great note to end on max finding your purpose and passion as a young person and as a not so young person (laughs) it's good for all of us max thank you for this wonderful chat and happy holidays to you and your family and thank you for these beautiful stories you just shared thanks so much jim this was a fantastic experience thanks for having us on that was my conversation with max steinman three lessons from this one for your business brand and life the first one is always have your consumer or your constituent or your customer, whatever your business is, have them in the room. Don't assume you understand who they are and what they're thinking about. This is an organization that's been 30 years working with young people and they're never complacent that they know it all. They always believe in having youth in the room for important decisions. Second takeaway, we talked about purpose on this show This team, Max's team, has an unbelievable purpose, and they bring it to life with clear goals. They activate their purpose by having very specific goals that the entire organization understands 
and delivers upon and hold each other accountable for. Third takeaway, this was a beautiful story about mentorship. Max really is in the role he is now because of someone spending time with him when he was young in college about how his life would shape up and how he would become the full person that he is today. We all have the power to be a mentor. We need to leverage that in the most positive sense. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.